Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Boris Jovanov. I'll invite you to bow your heads with me. Father God, Lord, we're asking that you be present here. Father, may the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible be present right now to teach us your word. Forgive us our sins, Lord. Be with my mind and my mouth. Help me to be able to speak and think clearly. Preach to me as well as through me. And Lord, I just pray that today's presentation may draw us closer to you. In your name, amen. There is a passage of scripture that I've heard people use many, many times. And I find it very troublesome the way they use it. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. This portion of scripture um, has unfortunately... um, given people a lot of turmoil in their hearts and have caused them to doubt the promises of God. And so what we want to do just really quickly is, is I guess, have a look at this and see what Scripture is actually saying. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10 and we're going to read verse 26. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. The Bible says this, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now I've heard people say that this verse means that after you've given your life to Jesus, if you've sinned, you can't be forgiven. Raise your hand if that would be a problem for you. Any here who have sinned after they've come to a knowledge of truth? Oh man, would that be a horrific truth, wouldn't it? But see, this is what we do and this is how we end up. And many people find themselves abandoning their faith, not because Scripture's teaching something, but because they are misunderstanding what Scripture's teaching and they're just reading a random verse out of its context, yes? And so let's look at the context here of Hebrews chapter 10, and unpack what it's actually saying here. Now, one thing you'll find in Christianity is that you have people who want nothing to do with God because they're so, they think he's so unfair. And then you have people who want nothing to do with God because they think they'll be saved anyway. It's a real weird kind of, Thing, but that is generally where universalism leads you. But let's read verse 26 again and we'll keep reading and see if we can find what is Scripture actually speaking of here. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. There no longer remains a what? A sacrifice for sin. And the next few verses unpack what this is meaning. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which would devour the adversaries. Now listen to verse 28. 
Anyone who rejects Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Is this new for a Christian? What are the wages of sin? Is transgression of the law sin? Yes. And Hebrews is just reiterating what Scripture and the Gospel has always said. That the wages of sin is death. And anyone who transgresses the law of Moses, what should happen to them? They die. Question. How many of you have transgressed the law of Moses? Any? All of us. But look at what the Bible goes on to say. And what could be talking about here in verse 26? We're going to continue verse 28. uh, Pardon me, verse 29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Are you following what, what Hebrews is saying here? Every single one of us has broken Moses' law. Yes or no? Absolutely. And so what do we all deserve? What should be our destiny? It should be a death before witnesses. And a death before witnesses, all that would happen if we all killed under the witnesses, something just would have happened. We would have all got what we deserved. Yet, is that what we all will receive? No. Why? Because Jesus came into the equation, yes? Jesus came into the equation and he took the death that we deserve so that we can receive the life that he deserves. Are you following? All humanity, although they deserve to be lost, do not have to be lost. Are you following that? Not a single person on earth has to be lost. Why? Because God, in His abundant grace, sent His Son to take our place and has now offered us a new covenant where we no longer need to be killed, but in Him we can be saved. If you're thankful for that, say amen. What Hebrews is saying in verse 26 is that anyone who rejects this sacrifice, there is not another sacrifice coming. Are you following? We all broke the law, yes? And what should have been didn't happen. Why? Because God entered and gave a sacrifice. Are you following? And now we have this knowledge. We have this truth. But what the Bible is saying is that anyone who sins willfully knowing this, in other words, all of us have broken the law, and anyone who's rejecting what Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit's not coming after this and leaving heaven and dying on a cross for those who've sinned and rejected Jesus. Are you following? This is the second chance for humanity. I feel like I'm saying stuff in a confusing way. Is what I'm saying confusing or does it make sense? We all sinned. And what should have happened didn't have to happen because in God's grace, he offered up a sacrifice, yes? 
Now, if we choose to give our life to Jesus, follow him as our Lord and Savior, guess what? It is as though you did not sin. However, Scripture is saying very clearly here that those who sin and reject Jesus, there is not another sacrifice coming for them. Now is the time. Are you following? This is referring to the fact that there is a close of probation happening. There will not be another sacrifice and another sacrifice. It's not like Jesus comes and makes up for your sins and then you sin and reject Jesus. And then the spirits come in and make another sacrifice to, to, to atone for those who've sinned and rejected Jesus. And then the Father comes and makes a sacrifice to atone for, for, you follow what I'm saying? It's now is the time. There is not another sacrifice coming. There is no other sacrifice that remains. What Jesus came and sacrificed, that's it. And while it is true that Jesus makes things both better and worse, it's true, right? If Jesus had not come, what would be the result? We'd die. But now that he did come, it's no longer just the sin, but it's sin and rejecting the grace. That's why Hebrews, he says, of how much worse will it be now for those who've also trodden underfoot the Son of God? Yes? In preparation for New Zealand, (coughs) um, I've been having to do a lot of reading from theologians that are deconstructionalists. And essentially what happens is they deconstruct scripture and the faith and pull it to bits so that you can believe whatever you want to believe. And I truly believe that's the motive after reading them. In fact, one of the most prominent ones here in Australia, in his article he says, criticizing Christians, he says... In most Christian churches, you'll find that they actually believe that the Bible must be authoritative because without it, you can't truly believe in Jesus. And he says, what a shame. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't make sense to me because I learned about Christ from his word. Yeah? If his word can't be trusted and authoritative, well then, how can he be trusted and authoritative when we're only learning about him from the word. Does that make sense? And essentially, he, he brags about being able to be a happy Christian where he serves Christ without having to follow the word, which is a really weird thing because you only know of Christ from the word. So what he's really saying is, I finally became a happy Christian by being able to pick and choose what I follow in the word. Yeah? He did the same thing on hell. Except he's coming from a non-Adventist perspective on hell where he used to believe in this horrific horrific lie of eternal torment. And so he's gone to universalism, which now kind of, for those who don't know, they believe that everyone, everyone will be saved even those who are currently burning in hell, which, by the way, no one is according to Scripture. If you've got questions about that, approach me after. They just believe, and this is what he says, they believe that through their tormentful suffering, they eventually atone for their wrongs and then end up in heaven. 
There is a significant portion of Christianity that doesn't actually believe that we are living in the time of probation and that time will come to an end. But scripture is clear on this. There will come a time where there is no more. The unjust will be unjust and the just will be just. Now, the close of probation has scared a lot of people, and I get it, right? How's it not scary? You know, we kind of look at ourselves and you think of, oh, man, I've messed up so much. What if it happens today? I want to look at Scripture and just kind of learn from other closes of probation of how God works. Can we do that? And hopefully we'll get some peace and purpose out of this message. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to be looking at the very first person whose probation, or being rather, whose probation has been closed. Do you know who I'm referring to? Satan. Yes? Now, this is a really important point that not everyone will catch, but I think a lot of people will. According to scripture, for those who know, when was Satan's probation officially closed? At the cross. However, what you'll see is his probation was closed long before that, just not officially. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. And let's begin in verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, diamonds, beryl, Onyx and jasper, sapphire, torquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbers and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. And then don't miss this. You were the anointed cherub who covers. What does that mean? Well, we get an idea from the earthly sanctuary. Because in the most holy place where the literal presence of God was dwelling, there were these crafted angels that were on the Ark of the Covenant covering. What the Bible is saying is that Lucifer was actually one of the highest, most privileged angels and he served as an angel and his function was to be in the very presence of God. Now, what did the Bible also say was his covering? All these precious stones, yes? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a really beautiful stone in the dark, but it looks like every other stone, right? The Bible tells us that God is light and from him is just such brightness. And so you've got this angel that's decked out in all these precious jewels, yes? And he gets to be in the very presence of God. Now, friends, I want to suggest something to you. That the most powerful thing God can do to win someone to himself is to reveal to them who he truly is. I'm going to say that again. The most 
powerful thing, the most powerful instrument, the most powerful tool that God has at his disposal to win someone to himself is to make sure they fully, completely know who he is. Because when you know who he is, how can you help but surrender all to him? Now you have this angel who's in the very presence of God. He's one of the few who didn't need to learn anything about him through a messenger. He was in the room. Are you following? When Satan, pardon me, when Lucifer became Satan and chose to walk away from God in that circumstance, how much more was left for God to be able to do? What more could God do to woo him back? There wasn't anything more God could do to woo him back because Lucifer knew who God was and was walking away from that anyway. Are you following? And in that sense, Lucifer closed his own probation because he put himself in a position where there's nothing else God could do to win him back because he knew everything and yet still chose no. Are you following? And from that moment, doesn't matter how much time transpires, he's not coming back because there's not an extra ace that God has up his sleeve that's even more powerful, even more winsome, or even more wooing because he knows who he is. Are you following? And so even though God allowed a lot of time to transpire before it was officially closed on Lucifer or Satan that he can't go up to heaven anymore, right? And he's bound to earth. He didn't do that because there was chance for him. He did that so it becomes evident to everyone that no matter how much time had transpired, his heart is not changing. Are you following? God knows the end from the beginning. The moment he made that decision, did he know where it's all going? But he allowed it to all transpire so that we can all be caught up. But the reality is this, even though probation was closed on Lucifer at the cross, really when he knew God completely and chose to leave him, there was nothing left in God's toolbox that he could use to bring him back. Now, if you read Ellen White, she actually gives us a bit of insight that actually half the angels left. But then she describes this scene where the father comes down with the son and explains that Jesus is not an angel that gets some special privilege to come up in the courtroom of God, but he's God who's condescending down on you. And he create, he teaches them who he is and what happens in the patriarchs and prophets as you're reading is this tremendous scene of worship happens. And as she describes this scene of worship, she says even Lucifer in his midst couldn't help but start singing praise. And she says he knew he was wrong and then these scary words happen. But pride forbade him to repent. There was nothing more God could do to woo him. And Lucifer had got himself in a state 
where there's nothing else God could do. And so really, his probation was closed, even though it wasn't officially closed. Are you following? Turn to Daniel chapter 9. It's just the next book. Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, we have another closer probation situation. Now this time, it's not on an angel, but rather it's on the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. For being God's chosen vessel. Now in Daniel chapter 9, there's a 70 week prophecy. In verse 24, it says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to make Pardon me, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision of prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, we as a church have been studying Daniel. Many of you are going to be familiar with this. If not, jump on YouTube and go through the session that we did on this. But this was a time period that God set apart, a time of probation that God set apart for the nation of Israel. And once that period came to an end, they were going to be cut off. Are you following? This was not unknown. If you go to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus um, indicates that he's aware of this prophecy and what it means for. Do you remember when Peter forgave someone? And he came to Jesus. He's like, how many times should we forgive him? Seven times? Do you remember that story? In Matthew chapter 18, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive, uh, shall my brother forgive, uh, sorry, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, what's he referring to? This 70-week prophecy. You following? There's this time of probation. Now, from the moment, even long before the prophecy, if we're honest, but from the moment God gave Daniel that prophecy, did God just sit back idly and just say, okay, let's see what they do. Yes or no? No. Over and over and over and over, God was trying to win Israel. Yes or no? He sent prophet after prophet after prophet. He allowed them to have their temple rebuilt. He called them to repentance. And what did they do with the prophets? They killed him and slayed him and rejected him. And he sent more. And they killed him and slayed him and rejected him. And he sent more. And he's trying to do everything he possibly can to get his people to choose him and surrender to him and put away the things that, are step, uh, that, that he told them to put away so that they don't have to be cut off. In fact, he was starting to get to the end of this period. And what does God do? He does the most powerful thing that he can possibly do to woo someone to himself. He reveals to them what he's truly like, who he truly is. And so God leaves heaven and becomes a man and lives out the character of God. Are you following? And they first come to Jesus and he says, I've not come for the lost sheep, but I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. You're right. He's still trying to win back Israel and reveal to them who he truly is. 
And yet as a people, when they saw what God is truly like, did they surrender or reject him? Now, don't miss this. When they rejected him, there's no greater sign of rejecting him than crucifying him, yes? There's no greater sign of rejecting someone than crucifying them. Yet, for those who know Bible prophecy here, was that the end of the 70 weeks? No. There's still three and a half years left in that prophecy. However, in reality, or in in their hearts, was that the moment where their probation was actually closed? Yeah, they weren't turning back. God had revealed to them what he's really like, and yet they rejected that, and so there's really nothing left in God's artillery or in his toolbox to win them back. Their hearts were set, but officially was it closed? No. Because God was making it evident to others that there is no change happening in their heart to the point where Jesus' followers had to become victors of being murdered by them as evidence of how steady they their hatred towards God was. You following? So don't miss this. In the two examples that we have of the close of a closer probationing happening, prior to that point, God was trying to do everything that could possibly be done. To woo them, to win them, to draw them. And the most powerful thing God can do to win someone to himself is to reveal to them what he's truly like. And that was enough for two-thirds of the angels. But it wasn't for a third of the angels. And even though officially the time of probation had not closed on them, the reality is from that point, none of them were changing their state because they got themselves in a state of close of probation. They got themselves in a state where they will not change no matter how much time transpires. Are you following? There's no new thing that they can discover that will change their mind. They know it all and they've got themselves in a state that doesn't matter how much time transpires, they are staying in rebellion to God. We find a very similar thing with the nation of Israel. There's a period of probation for them because they were rebelling. And God tried. He really did. He did miraculous things to reveal to them how much he loves them. He sent prophet after prophet with messages of love and repentance And they rejected him and were hardening their hearts. And then he did the most powerful thing he could possibly do. He revealed to them what he's really, really like. And they spat on him and he loved them. They beat him and he prayed for them. 
They mocked him and he fed them. They banished him. And he was there for them. He revealed what he's really like. But they chose to reject him still. And from that point, when you know it all, when you've seen what he's really like, and yet you still harden your heart, what more is left that God could possibly do to try to change your mind? There's nothing. He's exhausted every possibility. And so even though officially promotion didn't close on them, their hearts were in that state long before God had to declare it. You follow? Church, I don't know about all of you, but I truly believe Jesus will be here soon. I really do. Hallelujah. Yeah, absolutely. But when I go through a walk throughout town, I'm not saying hallelujah. I want to see him, but I want others to as well. I want him back. But at the same time, when no, like sincerely, with no confidence, can I say the world's ready for it? Are you following? There is a closure of probation that's coming soon. Man, what a dilemma, isn't it? I'm sure God himself wants to be back, but he wants to be with us all, you follow? And he's been given us, there's never been a time in earth's history where there's been more light, where there's been access to truth so easily. God is really doing abundantly more than we've probably ever seen in enabling people to be able to learn of him and learn what he's really like. By the very fact that it would be very unusual in this room for there to be someone who can't read is a sign of how much God has been working in this world to enable this world to get to know his truth. Are you following? It's crazy to think for the vast majority of human history, the majority couldn't read. Your only hope was to hope that I'm saying the truth. But now, free apps, the Bible's everywhere, spirit of prophecy's everywhere. God is doing everything you follow. But there is another thing that he will do before the end. Before he closes that door. Revelation chapter 14 describes them. Revelation chapter 14. The Bible says this, starting in verse 1. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 
144,000. And what did they have? His father's name written on their foreheads. They are living out the character of Christ in this world. And it goes on, it says, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like loud, the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpers playing their harps, and they sang as it were a new song. Where? Before the throne. Where are this 144,000 in this picture? They're before the throne. Before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Now don't miss this. These are the ones who were not defiled with women. For they were virgins. These are the ones who do what? They follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men. Now, I don't know about you. Some people find this fearful. I find it as terrific news. See, as we near the end and as that time of probation comes close, it seems like God once again does everything he possibly could do. And through the work of his Holy Spirit, he transforms the character of his people so that they can accurately reflect what God is like to their fellow man. Are you following Because God is not willing that any should perish. And he's a God who will do absolutely anything and everything he could possibly do. To draw as many as possible to himself. And what's the most powerful thing God can do to win someone to himself? Is to reveal what he's truly like. And what do we find in Scripture happening before the close of probation? The sealing of his people. Are you following? Where the Holy Spirit is supernaturally changing, transforming, sanctifying, allowing the lives of his people to not contradict the message he gave them. Now, unfortunately, some have taken this and they've put some meritous value on this in the sense of this is what you have to become in order to be saved. But friends, let me tell you this. The 144,000 are saved long before they were reflecting his image faithfully. Are you following? Titus tells us very clearly the grace of God that brings salvation to all men Does what? Teaches us to deny ungodliness and sinful and he starts listing all these things we put away. In fact, go to Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Go to Thessalonians. Chapter 2 and verse 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Look at how God does this. I mean, we truly do serve an amazing God. 
Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Why? Because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation. And then what does he do? Through sanctification, how? By the Spirit and belief in the truth. You know, a lot of people have this idea that the close of the probation is just some random set time in the future. And time's ticking. And we never know when that alarm's going to go off. But whenever that alarm goes off, it's going to be, oh, we're all frozen in space and time. And it's like, wherever you are that day, that's what you are. Just too late, missed out. Whereas what we see from the pattern of probations that we see in Scripture is that not how, that's not how God works. God is in control here. He's not bound to some random time. Are you following? But what does seem to be happening is that God is laboring with abundance and sending all of his angels and his spirit and his ministering in the heavenly sanctuary, trying to woo as many people to him as possible so that no matter how many times they may fall, they will always choose to repent. And he's laboring and laboring and laboring. But unfortunately, there are people who are hardening themselves. They're seeing a bit more of God and still saying, no, I'm good. A bit more and no, I'm good. And so he says, well, I've got to send him a bit more and no, I'm good. And he sends him a bit more and no, I'm good. Sends him a bit more and no, I'm good. And then finally, I actually possibly, like, I think it's crazier that there's a promise in Scripture that I might reflect his character accurately to my fellow man. I think that's crazier than Jesus doing that. That he could do that in me. That he could get me to, to not contradict in my life what I know to be true. So that when I share the truth, people don't just hear it, but see it. He's truly, we're coming to a time, friends, where he's truly going to be moving heaven and earth to draw as many people as possible to himself. And it seems like we'll get to a point where everyone... will either be so hard and they've rejected the truth though it's clear and they know it. Where there's nothing else God could do directly or through us to win them. Or there'll be people who've heard the truth, know they're not worthy, but cast themselves into the hands of their Father, their God, their Saviour. And his spirit does their work and they believe in his truth. And everyone gets to this point at the end where either, no matter how much you stumble, you'll always repent and be his because you know he's good. Or no matter how much time transpires, you'll never repent. Because now you've seen it all. But you've chosen no. And in that moment... The close has happened. 
Maybe not officially. We don't know. We don't, the Bible hasn't revealed that moment. You follow? But from the pattern of Scripture thus far, no one so far who's lost their probation or that's missed, that probation's closed on, no one was surprised by that moment. You follow? The close of probation just brought a proclamation to the evidence. And so friends, we're coming to the end of the year. And we're about to enter a new one. And I don't know about you, but to me, this does give me more peace. Because it's not some random unknown. But rather, God is working with every single one of us. And day by day, we have the choice. Lord, I am yours, or Lord, no thanks. And eventually, your heart will be so soft that it doesn't matter what transpires, you're going to be falling into his arms by choice every day. Or, no matter what transpires, you never give yourself to him. And it's only then that God says, I can leave. I can stand up. Because no matter how much time transpires from here on out, no one that's lost is going to be giving me their sins to deal with. And no matter how much transpires from here on out, my people are going to be mine, no matter what comes their way. He seals, they're marked, and he comes home. In this church, I know there's a lot of visitors here, so you're going to be kind of catching up to a bit of a journey, but in this church, we are unapologetically, fully convicted, Ash and myself, we are unapologetically fully convicted that God will use you far more than he can use us. I believe it, and I believe it because it's written. As I read the spirit of prophecy, we finish the work, not Ash and I. You follow? And as I read prophecy, man, amazing things are going to happen. Because God will be unleashing his spirit more and more because there's a world that needs to be one. You follow? And so in this church, we are unapologetic about trying to encourage you, train you, help you be able to share your faith with others. It's an appeal. It's a plea. That as we share, let's make sure it's our faith that we're sharing. You, you follow? Because you can't give what you don't have. Actually, let me be a bit honest about that. You can give what you don't have. But when people hear what you say and then see you don't have it, it actually has the opposite effect of what you'd hope it would have. You follow? And so God promised that we are on the doorstep right now of this amazing time where his spirit will work in such a way that his church, his people, will be being transformed by his spirit, being given strength that they could never have. 
having desires changed that they've had for years. He will transform us so that this world can hear and see what he is like. And so you can see how none of that proclamation can have much sense or power if that's not a truth we believe. If Jesus isn't mine, how can I introduce him to you? Does that make sense? If I'm not following the lamb wherever he goes, telling you directions of where he went won't really have the power that it should. Yes, let's give studies, teach the simple truth. But first and foremost, let's commit to being deeper, closer, more connected with Christ our Lord and Saviour than ever before. Drawing, Drawing to him, trusting in him, allowing him to do his work in us so that in this community people can hear the message and see it. They can hear about God and what he's like and see what he's like. That this community can truly be loving and lovable Christians. Let's pray. Father God, you really are so patient to think that there's not one who's not worth it for you. Not a single soul would you not do everything in your power to be able to reveal to them who you are so that they too may choose you. Father God, I want to thank you. And I'm assuming all those in this room who have come to know you together, Lord, we want to thank you for revealing yourself to us and showing us that you are good. And Father, as we stop and we reflect... We can all probably think of times that we've not reflected your goodness in our homes, in our community, at our work. But Father, we're going to cling to you no matter what. We believe that you will finish the work that you began. And Lord, we ask that you pour down your Holy Spirit upon us. Do your work in our lives. So that as we share, people can see that it's true. Father God, we want to be among your church who are tasked with preparing this world for your soon return. Lord, we know we can't ever do that unless we ourselves are living and growing in you. And so, Father, I want to pray for every person in this room and for those of our church members that can't be here today. Father, I pray that you create a revival in our hearts, that your spirit does its transforming work, and that our faith may increase every single day to trust in you no matter what. And as we do, Lord, may that be an irresistible witness to our community in your name. Amen.
message was made available by the Mwellenbar Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Mwellenbar Seventh-day Adventist Church. Sandra Entman will now sing, Do They See Jesus in Me? Is the face that I see in the mirror The one I want others to see Do I show in the way that I walk in my life to me My heart's desire is to be like you In all that I do All I am Do they see Jesus in me Do they recognize your face Do I communicate your love and your grace Do I reflect who you are in the way I choose to be Jesus is 
Does your faith need a boost? Do you think that miracles only happened in Bible times? Think again. Compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Harold Harker. This story is entitled The Angel Pushes. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? I was driving a remote highway in northern Canada one winter and descending some steep switchbacks. The weather had suddenly warmed the previous day, melting the snow on the road. On this day, it had dropped again to minus 20, refreezing the water on the highway and turning the switchbacks into a deadly skating rink. Sure enough, I lost control of the vehicle at one point and it started fishtailing. I tried my best to recover, but it was hopeless. The vehicle started to slide toward a drop-off that was well over 100 feet. Oh Lord! Help, I shouted. Sure, I would be plunging to an icy death. The vehicle started to slide toward the other side of the road, where the drop-off was more like four feet. It turned around and slid neatly into the woods, backwards. Even though the van's nose was pointed up the road, the snow was deep, and I tried in vain to get it back up out of the ditch rocking it with one foot out the door to push and one foot on the gas did nothing. Dark was coming. Night would be very cold in those parts. It might have been a long time until someone found me. I was prepared for the cold. I am a Canadian. But I was also about to miss an important speaking appointment. After trying every trick I knew, to get the van back out of the ditch. I finally sat in the snow and said, Lord, I can't do it. Please, you're going to have to get me out of here. With that, the car, which was still in gear, suddenly drove up onto the road by itself and started chugging its way down the road slowly. I ran to hop in, giddy with excitement. It was so impossible. I checked the back of the van for handprints later. There were none, but I knew someone had pushed it in response to my prayer. A reflection associated with this story comes from the Acts of the Apostles, page 152. To the worker for God, the record of these angel visits should bring strength and courage. Today, as verily as in the days of the apostles, heavenly messengers are passing through the length and breadth of the land, seeking to comfort the sorrowing, to protect the impenitent, to win the hearts of men to Christ. 
We cannot see them personally. Nevertheless, they are with us, guiding, directing and protecting. This story, The Angel Pushes, was written by Sean Boonstra, speaker and director of The Voice of Prophecy. The Voice of Prophecy exists to proclaim the everlasting gospel of Christ, leading people to accept Jesus as their saviour and nurturing them in preparation for his soon return. If you'd like more information, their website is just vop.com. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.